Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, or good night. Whenever it is that you're watching this, um, welcome. And uh, my name is Todd. I am a member here at Renaissance and have been for about three and a half years. Uh, Before that, I was in full-time ministry for, well, over 25 years. And if we've never met, uh, I've filled in a couple of times for Jeff in the past, and it's my honor to uh, be here today and share with you and kind of give him a little bit of a break. And But before we get into that, I want to first of all say just to my friend and to my pastor, Jeff, well done these last two weeks to, well, really guide all of us through these last few weeks of so many unknowns, so many disappointments, so many fears, uh, and so much anxiety. And in the midst of all of that, he has brought us a message of hope, of peace, and really been the kind of leader that God needs him to be for all of us. So. I just want to say thank you to him and great job for all that he's done in bringing us to this point. And well, and he deserves a little bit of a break. So I'm here this morning to kind of offer that and maybe share, well, something a little different to talk about something else other than what's going on in the situation that we find ourselves in. And maybe you haven't looked at a calendar recently, but uh, if you haven't, you might have forgotten that next Sunday, is actually Easter. And uh, regardless of the situation that we're in, uh, the calendar keeps moving and we'd like it to go even a little faster these days, but it's moving and next Sunday is Easter. And in the tradition that I came from and that I pastored in for many years, uh, that meant that the Sunday before Easter was always recognized as Palm Sunday. And that's the day that Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem on a donkey and to the celebration and applause of the Jewish people. But one of the things that I always questioned, or the question that I always had was, how was it? And maybe you don't know much about this situation, and if you don't, I'll try to explain it. But how was it that uh, these people that were gathering to celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and call and calling him the conquering king. How was it that five days later, these same people from the same nation in the same town were saying in Pilate's courtyard, crucify him, crucify him, we're done with him. How could that same group of people change in five days? So that's kind of what I want to look at today and kind of see maybe where you and I might fit into that very same situation even today. So we're going to turn to John chapter 12. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, pull it out, put it on the table, open to John chapter 12, and I'm going to begin at verse 12. But as you're turning there, um, just pause with me for a second and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather just like this. Um, So regardless of where we are, what we have on, 
what's going on in the background. We're here to learn, to worship, to study, and to be your people. So Lord, I just pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, that you will remove distractions that would uh, cause us to kind of go away for a bit. But Lord, allow us to focus on you, what you have to say and your message for us, whether I say it today or not. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12, we're going to begin at verse 12, and this is kind of where the story picks up. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now stop right there. A large crowd that had come to the feast. The nation of Israel is just about to celebrate the Passover, the yearly commemoration of the children of Israel being delivered from the hands of the Egyptians by Moses. And every year, throngs and throngs of Jewish people would come to the city of Jerusalem for a kind of pilgrimage to celebrate the Passover. And that's exactly what's going on in this context. So, verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king important word, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, and had been done to him. So why is Jesus just about as the nation is ready to celebrate Passover, why has Jesus become so popular? What's going on that would cause throngs of people to go out to greet him as he comes into the city? That's next. Look at verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Why so popular? Well, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to back up to the chapter right before this in John, from John chapter 11, and read you exactly what happened. Jesus has talked to Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. They've said he's dead. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Watch what Jesus does. Chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there would be an odor, odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus just rose Lazarus from the dead. And a few days later, he is about to come into the city of Jerusalem. Now, here's what you need to understand. This took place, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead in a town called Bethany. You can actually see Bethany from Jerusalem. It's only two miles away. It's just up the hill. To give you a perspective, that would be like from here at Renaissance, two miles away would be the McDonald's on Pershing Road. That's how close they are. So the news of a dead man walking in Bethany traveled very quickly to the city of Jerusalem. Let me read verse 17 of chapter 12 again. Listen. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They couldn't help but talk about a dead man walking. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and now they were saying to themselves, maybe, maybe this is the one. This is the one that we have been waiting for, God's chosen Messiah. Who else could do something so miraculous? But something else you've got to understand. The Jews at the time that this is happening were under control of the Romans, and the Jews hated the Romans. The Romans occupied their homeland, their promised land. The Romans occupied their temple, their holiest place of worship. The Romans taxed everything the Jews had. And so therefore, they were waiting for a Moses type of deliverer, a David type of king to deliver them, to free them from the bondage of these Romans. And they figured that maybe this Jesus, he's the one, the Messiah, the king that we've been waiting for, to rescue them, to save them, not from sin, but from the Romans. That's what they thought they had in Jesus coming down the trail. So when they hear Jesus is headed from Jerusalem, everyone wants to go out and touch him and see him and meet him. Because understand, in these days, there would have been probably around, hang on, two and a half million Jews in and, in and around Jerusalem coming there for Passover. So in essence, it was political season. The political season had begun and they had their campaign slogan. And what was the slogan? Jesus for king. That's what they wanted. And how did they say it? Jesus for king? No. They said one word. Hosanna. Hosanna. And what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, it literally means save us now. Save us now from what? 
from our sins so we can go to heaven when we die? No. It was the furthest thing from their mind. It was save us now from this Roman rule. Restore them to their place of prominence as God's chosen people. Yes, the people that day, they had an agenda. Jesus was their ticket out. He would whip these Romans back to Rome and become the kind of ruler and king that they'd always wanted all the way back to David and lead them back to a time of prosperity. They had it all figured out. A new reign of a new king, and his name is Jesus. And yet, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. Jesus knew he wasn't coming to Jerusalem to conquer anyone or anything except my sin and yours. He knew very well that the only crown he would ever wear would be made of thorns. Listen to what uh, commentator William Barclay has to say about this entrance that Jesus makes. He says, When the people shouted Hosanna, it was not a cry of praise to Jesus, which it often sounds like when we quote it. It was a cry to God to break in and save his people now that the Messiah had come. Jesus approached Jerusalem with the shout of the mob hailing a conqueror in his ears. And it must have hurt him, for they were looking in him for the very thing which he refused to be. Jesus' agenda was set. Their agenda was human and earthly. His self-centered, or was not self-centered and not self-serving. Jesus' agenda was divine and eternal and selfless. Their agenda, conquering Rome, that was too small for Jesus. His Father's agenda was rather global and eternal. So there, in the midst of palm branches being raised, Branches being put on the road, coats being laid before him, and cheers of Hosanna, the, agendas of, the agenda of man and the agenda of God collide. So, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, not on a stallion, not in a chariot, but on a donkey. The symbol of his servanthood, his humility, a symbol of his agenda. Jesus said it many times. Matthew, Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served. Not, he did not come to be applauded. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the answer to the question. Why was it that this same, this same group of people celebrated his entrance on Sunday and five days later, in the court of Pilate, are ready to say, crucify him. Why? Because it didn't take them very long to figure out what was going on. They figured pretty quick that Jesus was not going to fulfill their agenda. And just five days later, they rejected him altogether. 
and traded him for a convicted murderer. And they cried out in Pilate's court, we don't want a savior. We want a ruler. We want a new emperor. We want a king. Crucify that one. He's not doing what we want him to do. He's not who we thought he was. That day, the crowd had their agenda, but they weren't alone. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, I think Peter had an agenda in all of this as well. One day after Jesus was foretelling his disciples about the events that were transpiring right in front of them, Jesus coming into town, being betrayed, being arrested, being crucified, dying, and rising again from the dead. Jesus predicted all of it. And when he told the disciples about it one day, listen to what Peter had to say. This is in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start at verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, Jesus was saying, Peter, you got an agenda. Not the agenda of God, but your own agenda. The agenda of a lifetime with Jesus. Because see, Peter's life had been revolutionized since Jesus entered it, and he was quite happy with the way things were. He didn't want anything or anyone to take Jesus away. So we could maybe say that Peter's codependent agenda needed Jesus to physically be present with him right there, right now, or else he couldn't be happy. Peter had an agenda. The crowd, they had an agenda. But another one of disciples, of Jesus' disciples, Judas, I think he had an agenda too. Judas, one of Jesus' twelve, he betrayed Jesus. And I don't think in the end Judas ever really desired to turn him over to have Jesus killed. I think Jesus, or I think Judas just wanted to force him out, to force his hand, to make him claim the throne that Judas thought he would claim and begin this military campaign once and for all. And then exalt Judas, who was the treasure of the group to exalt him to a place of prominence. That's his agenda. Peter had an agenda. The crowd, they had an agenda. So I got to ask on this Palm Sunday, in the midst of so much turmoil, so much unknown, do we have an agenda? Do I? Do you? 
I mean, I think sometimes we hear this story and we think, how could these people in this day have been so blind? Why couldn't they see? Why couldn't Peter, Judas, see God's agenda, what he was doing? But before we start pointing fingers at them, maybe we need to look in the mirror. Perhaps many of us, 2,000 years later, with the story right in front of us, are doing exactly the same thing. We're missing God's agenda because maybe we're so busy promoting our own. For the crowd that day, Jesus was their meal ticket to freedom. For Peter, Jesus was his meal ticket to happiness. For Judas, Jesus was his meal ticket to fame and fortune. They were all using Jesus to promote their own self-serving agenda. And it still happens today, doesn't it? Maybe you've said or thought or prayed, Oh, I'll go to church and I'll keep going to church as long as things are going good. But anything bad happens and, well, that didn't work, did it? Or we say to ourselves, I know, I'll, I'll, I'll start giving to the church. But if I'm not rich in 30 days, I'm out. It's the sick person that promises, oh, Jesus, I'll live for you if you'll just heal me. It's the young person who promises they'll go to uprising when all this is said and done if they'll just let that boy ask me out. It's the one who promises to volunteer at church, even work with the kids, if God will just provide that promotion. It's the one who says, I'll quit doing this if you'll just do that. See, we got to be honest. There's something inside all of us that wants to be in control, in charge. There's something inside of us that things, we want things to be on our terms. We want to be on the throne, the throne of being in power, control, influence, fame, whatever it is. And sometimes I think we even feel like it's owed to us, like we deserve it. You know, after all, I go to church now. I, I volunteer. I invite people. I tithe. I, I lead a small group or... I go to one, and all too often, I think we don't even turn to God until maybe we've exhausted every other available option. Is it possible that before we drop our mouths at the people in Jerusalem that day, we need to examine some of our own agenda-making? It was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Thursday night after Palm Sunday. He summed it all up as he's praying to his father and he said, Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus started out the course of events of the next three days by saying it's the father's agenda that mattered the most. He started this whole thing out by knowing what was about to happen was a means to accomplish his father's agenda, not his own. 
Now, we can say that, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Why? Because not only did he say it, and not only did he mean it, but he did it. He accomplished the Father's agenda and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He did for us what we in a million years could never earn or deserve. And he offers it all today to you and to me for free by faith. The forgiveness of everything we've ever done. He offers us for free life eternal forever with him. He offers us for free purpose and peace. And he promises and he promises time after time hope and his forever presence, especially even in these tough times. So the question that maybe needs to be asked is, does he, does he owe us more than that? And I think sometimes we think he does. After receiving all that he gives us, maybe we've got a bit of a secondary agenda, an agenda for our own personal throne. Here's the thing. Maybe the question that needs to be asked is not, what more can God do for me? But maybe the question for all of us is, what more can I do for him? Not my agenda, but your agenda, Lord. What's your Palm Sunday agenda? Reject him like the crowd? Place your wants and needs above others like Peter did? Put your dreams of prominence and power or prestige above God's will for your life like Judas? What's your Palm Sunday agenda? Worship him this Sunday and then deny him on Friday and celebrate his re resurrection next Sunday? Maybe follow him for years, but really never let it sink in. Trust him for salvation, but only call on him when all else fails. Here's the thing. Maybe instead we lay our crown at his feet. We lay our agendas at his feet and surrender to his will, his agenda for me and for you. And here's the thing to remember. God loves you so much that he will still love you even if you ignore him. Even if you try to use him or forget him. But if you really get all of this, if you get all that he did and all that he paid and all that he endured, how could we? Well, why would we? Why would I? Why would you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have to admit that sometimes we are like that crowd and we see you as a means 
to an end. But Lord, we want to see you for exactly what you did, who you were and are, and who you desire to be for each and every one of us. So Lord, I just pray that we will allow ourselves to say to you, not my will, but your will be done. And then to receive all that you have given us already. And then open ourselves wide open for everything that you have for us, your will, your agenda for our lives. Boy, if something like that happened, this would be an amazing Palm Sunday, an amazing way to begin what's a pretty historic week. That's my prayer for all all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.